What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical, where we talk all things training, nutrition, and mindset optimization, while making sure to not lose sight of the practical and applicable side of things. I'm your host, Jordan Lips, and I just wanted to say thank you for taking time out of your day to tune in. I appreciate you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am honored to bring you Mr. Syatt, newly engaged. Congratulations, my friend. How you doing? Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, definitely was something to watch yesterday, and I was like watching <laughs> as you said that you had blocked your stories off for your girlfriend. I was like, I wonder if, like, how, was there a chance that she was going to find out? Like, is there another way around that? <laughs> I actually... I had a, a super bad dream the night before that her mom texted her like saying like, Oh my God, like, because her mom like might not have seen the part where I said this hasn't happened yet or whatever it is. So I woke up and immediately hid my stories from basically everyone I know knows her who follows both of us so that like no one would be able to message her and like miscommunicate. Like I follow, I, I hid my stories to a fair number of people just to make sure that didn't happen. I feel like I'm proud of the internet for not blowing that though. I feel like there's just oh, a yeah. the percentage of, of, of the, there's just the mass number of people that saw it and somebody out there has got to have like a, just get a weird, dark, sick pleasure out of ruining that. So I'm just like, I'm proud of the internet for keeping it. Yeah. After we posted it publicly, she got texts from friends who I had no idea who followed me and they were like, we've been watching this all day. I was like, wow, wow. thank God no one blew that. Yeah. That's a risky business, man. Putting it up there. I, I thought for, you have a big following. Someone's like, private investigator at her Instagram and yeah. <laughs> with great risk comes great reward. Yeah, for sure. It was. And I was talking to Rico earlier. He crushed it as well, obviously, which was like, Oh, he's right here. Yeah. He, yeah. he absolutely dominated it's, it. Want to say hi, Rico. Hello. <laughs> What's up, Rico? What's going on, dude? Um, he cracked me up yesterday. I posted a picture of myself and I was like trying to make a point. It was like a picture of a photo shoot day. And I was like, you know, this, I looked great objectively, but I was like, you know, I'm dead inside pretty much more or less. And he was like, I know, like, the point of the post you were trying to make, but, like, you look great, man. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, Rico. Like, uh, I fully funny. understand the point, but you do look you really look good. Excellent. So maybe it's worth considering just staying. You're like dead inside. Visible. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no worries. That's awesome. So um, we're going to dive into the first topic here. He's like, aesthetically, you're way more attractive here. So it's like, I like you better. I like you more in this picture. I'm like, no, 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 I feel terrible. He's like, no, 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 I don't care. Like, you look better, so you're better. I'm telling you, you should look like that year round. <laughs> oh, man. Excuse me, dog? Did your dog just bark? Yeah, and she never barks, <laughs> literally ever. Anyway, um, that's a sign. We're going to pivot here into this first topic here. And it's going to be a broad one, and we're going to start with, like, a really simple question of, like, I want to talk about scale psychology. I want to talk about how to use it, potentially what to do if you're in fear of using it, if there's times where somebody shouldn't use it, how to use it, like strategies to overcome that fear. And I think starting off with the question of like, what would you say to someone who says the scale is bad, you shouldn't use it, it doesn't define you, it's a piece of metal, like what's your go-to, where does your heart and your mind go to as ter in terms of a response to that? Yeah. So for me, usually when someone says the scale, like doesn't define you, so you shouldn't use it. I'll usually go towards my first question being like, that's a really good point. Let me ask you a question. What does define you? And they're always like stumped. They're like, I, I don't know. I'll be like, well, 
I think it's important to know if you're using that as a justification to not use the scale, we should probably know the answer to what does define you then. And then I'll ask them a question. I'll be like, all right, well, let me, let me phrase it this way. Do you like to lift, to lift weights? And usually the people having this conversation love to lift weights. Like, yeah, I love it. Love deadlifting. Awesome. So does the amount of weight you deadlift define who you are? And like, no. I'm like, well, how much do you deadlift? And they'll tell me, so why are you tracking that number if it doesn't define who you are? And so from here, we can get into a conversation of, yes, you're absolutely correct. The scale does not define who you are, your value, your worth. It defines none of that. But the amount of weight you deadlift doesn't, the amount of money in your bank account doesn't, none of these numbers define who you are. But just because they don't define who you are doesn't mean they're not worth tracking. Doesn't mean that the numbers are worthless right? Your weight doesn't make you worthless. And that number isn't worthless either. That data point can actually be very, very helpful if you use it correctly. The other thing here is like, if you're going to say that the scale, it's just a piece of plastic, it's just a piece of metal, like it doesn't matter. Then it's like, I agree. If you think that it doesn't really matter and that it shouldn't affect you, then you should be able to stand on that piece of plastic or piece of metal without letting it affect you. And the more you avoid it. And the more like people are like I smashed my scale, I hit it with a baseball bat. I'm like, you broke something because it was working. Like that's weird. Like that's not a good relationship with it. Just because something makes you feel bad. Imagine if that's how we responded to like our, our significant others. It's like, yeah, so I'm just going to like break up with someone because it makes me feel bad. I'm going to like smash it with a bat because it makes me feel bad. It's like, no, we have to, there's something wrong with this relationship. So let's work on it. So for me, with the scale, I try and get people to a point where they can step on it daily with literally zero emotion whatsoever. Because that that's really, if there's an inanimate object, if there's a lamp, there's a lamp right behind me. I walk by that thing every day, multiple times a day, zero emotion whatsoever. Ideally, that's what I want everyone to, how they should treat the scale. There should be zero emotion because it's an inanimate object. It doesn't define who I am. It doesn't mean anything about who I am. It's just there as a tool to help me when I need light and to turn it off when I don't need light. It's like that tool on the scale is going to help me. It's going to tell me how much I weigh. And it's going to tell me if I'm generally trending towards my ultimate goal. It doesn't tell me if I'm 100% making progress day to day, but it does tell me that generally on a trend of month to month, am I going in the right direction or not? And I'm, I'm going to be blunt here, but I just feel like there's, if, if somebody's like, it doesn't define you, man, I feel like that is just something that sounds really great. And you have no fucking clue what, what something defining you even means. Like, like Correct. scale doesn't define you. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't define me. And I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, I don't know. Like what, def you said, what defines you? I think 99% of people have no idea how to answer that question. All they would say is, well, I know the scale doesn't like, you don't know what this thing does or does not define me even means. We have no idea what that means. It just, it sounds really good. And it sounds like a really good reason not to use the scale because it doesn't define me. And then, I, and then there's the, like, if you, if you're, like you said, if you're calling it stupid, if you're calling it worthless, if you're calling it not, um, shouldn't have control over you, like you not getting on it, is it controlling you? It, it has, exactly its right. existence has decided that you're not going to get on it. Like, it, you didn't choose that. Like, it, it chose for you because of, like, well, the fear chose, but that's not you overpowering it. That's it overpowering you. It, it's choosing. That's exactly right. If, if you can't go to the doctor and step on the scale without having anxiety, then that scale does 
have a massive amount of control over you. If you can't have a scale in your house without freaking out about it, or if someone else can't tell you that they're weighing themselves without you saying that's a really bad unhealthy habit, then the scale has control over you. It has power over you. The only way to have power over the scale is to be able to step on it and say like, okay, cool. That's it. And just recognize it. In the same way, it's like you track your deadlift numbers because it's helpful for tracking data. It's the exact same thing. And it, it, one of my favorite quotes is from Hermione in Harry Potter. It's like fear of a name only increases fear of a thing itself. It's like you say the name because the name has no control over you. And the more that you are scared of saying the name, the more scared you become of the actual thing. The more you're scared of weighing yourself and the more you don't weigh yourself because you're scared, the bigger of a problem it becomes. The more you do it consistently, the less of a problem it is. And the more you know that it actually doesn't define you. Yeah, Jared and I had spoken in a previous episode about how humans are the only creatures that can, that can have feelings about feelings. Like we, it's more than a subconscious. We can back up and assess our own feelings. And yep. if you're, and take, replace the word scale with literally anything else. If, if there's something that sounds irrational, if you have a fear and you're scared of something, you take a step back and you analyze that fear and you're like, is that something I'd want for my child? Is that something I'd want for my best friend? If my friend or my child was having a fear of this thing, like that's un, that would be unacceptable. That's something we need to work through, not around, not avoid. It's something we need to work mm-hmm. through. And you talk, you talk eloquently about, you know, even if it's a, you know, uh, a, a smaller version of exposure therapy and how it's like, if you're afraid of the scale and you are not getting on it and you walk by every single day and it's staring you in the face, it's in your bathroom and it gives you anxiety, you could measure your heart rate, it goes up every time you walk by, like that should be unacceptable to you. That And, and the answer to that feeling of it's unacceptable to me is not avoiding it. I need to conquer this thing. That is not something I would want for my child. Yep. It's funny. It's using that child example. I think it's perfect. Do you want to tell your child that this inanimate object is evil and bad and definitively make them have a skewed, terrible relationship with it? Or do you want to show them that they can step on it, look at the number, get off and have a normal day? It's like you get to decide how you would, how you would portray that to your child. If you tell your child the scale is bad, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant, it's evil, it, it's lies, it doesn't define you, then your child's going to grow up thinking the scale's a really terrible, evil thing. But if you can get on the scale, have your child watch you, look at the number, get off, and continue with your day, zero emotion, there's nothing wrong with it. Like your child will be like, cool, it's just I don't understand the problem, as it should be. So I think using that child example of how would you want your child to, to perceive it is probably the best way to go about using it. I feel like like our mirrors evil. Like I think the scale it's like the scale's not doing anything. It's not doing anything to you. It's it's doing its job. It's telling you your relation to gravity like and 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 yes, the scale doesn't tell you your health. It doesn't tell you your personality. It doesn't tell you if you're a good person. It doesn't tell you how much muscle mass you have. It doesn't tell you what you look like in the mirror, but a mirror doesn't do anything but reflect. The scale doesn't do anything but give you a number. It doesn't it you need to and I think that's where I'd like to go. So you need to understand that it is a part of the puzzle, a part, not the whole encompassing, I am healthy, I am not healthy, I am fat, I am skinny, I am thin, I am whatever. Like it is a part of multiple data points, not just health, not just like physique related that you can be tracking, but it's just a part of the puzzle. And if you're if you're putting it up on a pedestal as this is the only metric I'm tracking in my life besides just like, you know, my friends and my relationship and my sleep and my family and 
yes, aesthetically and stuff like that, there are metrics too. But if this is the only thing that you're tracking that you're giving emotional power to, then yeah, it's, it's going to be scary. Yeah, I, I it's if that's the only thing you're tracking and or if your expectations of success are completely and utterly unrealistic. It's like if you're stepping on that scale on Monday morning and expecting a radical difference on Tuesday morning and then expecting a radical difference on Wednesday morning and this sequential expectation of every day I will go down and wait and I will never fluctuate upwards, especially if I'm perfect with my diet, then that's your fault. All the scale is doing is reflecting what is a normal pattern of scale weight, which is fluctuations up and down based on any number of factors, whether it's hydration or glycogen or stomach content or any number of things or your menstrual cycle. It's like, there's so many things that impact the scale. And so if you're going to allow it to dictate your emotions purely based off of an unrealistic expectation of progress, that's your fault, not the scale. So you say unrealistic expectation of progress. And, and what I wanted to ask was how big you think, how big do you feel education plays and just even on a baseline level in being able to overcome those, those fear, those fears, that emotion over time. So there, uh, it's huge. I would say there's two aspects to this education though. I'd say there's the education of something like this, where you and I say like half a pound to a pound a week on average is great and explain that you don't compare week to week. You don't, you don't compare Monday to Monday. You compare June one to July one, you compare July one to August one, you compare month to month to see the trend, not the fluctuations. So I think that type of education is critical. The other type of education that I don't know if it's critical, but it's very helpful for many people is the, the education that comes from accountability, right? So when you have a client, they'll email you, they'll tell you their weight and they'll say, I'm nervous or I'm anxious. And you can calm them down and say, it's totally fine. It's just, it doesn't matter. Like, I know you spiked up a pound and a half from yesterday, but that's normal. Not a big deal. That confirming that it's okay is a really good educational tool that can help people get over that fear. And then over the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, then they can develop that healthier relationship with food. Whereas if they didn't have that accountability to begin with, they might've had that first spike and been okay with it based on the conversation we had. But then the second spike, they freak out and they quit. It's like we, our job is to educate, but also part of education is trying to keep them as consistent as possible for as long as possible. And most people fail because they aren't consistent. So if they see their weight, weight spike twice and then quit, well, yeah, then they're going to develop a very bad relationship with the scale. But if we can get them to stay on track and then long enough to see these patterns, that's when they win. <clears throat> I wrote down a quote and now just to say right now, and now that I'm thinking it, like it might actually be your quote. And it was, and I think about it every time I open up an email when either somebody's anxious or they just have an issue and it's my job to just get this person today, right now, to just not quit. And mm -hmm. it's to just not quit. And I think that when we're talking about somebody getting on the scale and feeling anxious day to day, like if you get them to keep getting back on the scale, like that, you don't even need that first education of like, this is a proper rate of progress. Actually, you probably, that would still be helpful, but you don't necessarily even need to teach fluctuations. Like if you can get somebody to be consistent with their calories and steps and do the things they need to do and still get on the scale, 30 days of data, you just show them that data and it speaks for itself. So I, Correct. I, I, I find that like, I'm like, you know what? Like I can tell you till you're blue in the face that it's going to fluctuate and it's going to go down. It's going to go down. My job is just to get you to not quit today, accumulate some data. And it really does speak for itself. 
Absolutely. I think that's one of the most important things that I've learned as a coach is like your job is to make sure they don't quit. That's, that's really it. It's not to give them a super fancy program. It's not to make the, like a, a PDF that looks really nice. It's not to like give them ridiculous exercises. It's to make sure they don't quit. And as long as they don't quit, then they're going to succeed. And obviously a lot comes with that, making sure you ha do have great program design, making sure that it is individualized for them. And that's part of your job because if it's not individualized for them or if it's terrible program design, they're more likely to quit. But every conversation, everything you do is based around that one core tenet of how can I make sure they don't quit? Um, in terms of like weighing frequency and data accumulation, data collection, like I have, I started my career very young, maybe 10 years ago, uh, weighing exclusively clients weekly um, in an attempt to avoid the fluctuations. And I was doing something very similar, almost not believing that I could bring a lay person who's not, doesn't have that education, that I could actually walk them through dealing with mm. that emotionally. So I would avoid it. And I would hope that seven days worth of time would be enough to wash that out. And, um, you know, you, you see good experiences with that and you see bad experiences with that. And the good ones are often short-lived. It's also, it's often not as good as it could have been if you really walked somebody through understanding it and coming to real terms with fluctuations and, you know, assessing a trend and being consistent. And I just feel that it, there are a lot of people out there who are going to be listening to this, who listen to your content, to my content, who hear about weighing daily and the, and the pros. And they're like, well, why can't I just weigh weekly? I mean, you can, you can, if you want, I'll say like, that method works for many people and it's totally fine. I would ask, why do you want to weigh weekly? That's really the more important question to answer. If you want to weigh weekly because you travel for work and you don't have a scale accessible to you except for the one or two days that you're home, cool, then weigh weekly. But if you want to weigh weekly specifically to avoid a fluctuation, then you're, you're trying to avoid the emotional response. That's really it. And that's, you're trying to avoid your, uh, your struggle, your issue with the scale rather than confronting it head on. If you only want to weigh once a week, just because you think the fluctuations are going to bother you, that's a fucking problem. Like that's exactly the situation in which weighing more frequently is going to benefit you. Now I will say all of this knowledge, knowing that the scale doesn't define you and knowing that it's going to fluctuate, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have zero emotion to it. Like, Sometimes I'll see my weight fluctuate and I'll be like, ah, damn it. Like even me knowing all of this, but the question is what happens once you have that emotional response? Do you allow it to ruin your day? Do you say, ah, fuck it. I quit. And you just eat an insane amount of food. Do you allow you to binge? Do you go off track for a week? Like, do you get upset? Do you cry about it? Or you say, ah, damn it. Cool. What's next? That's really what we're looking for. We're looking for building up the ability to have that emotional reaction. And sort of like you were talking about, you can have emotions about your emotions, right? It's like you have that emotional reaction. Then you can say, well, that's stupid. Why do I care? I know it's just a fluctuation. I did really well with my nutrition yesterday. Doesn't matter. Boom, back on track. That's really it. If you're weighing once a week specifically to avoid it, then that means you're putting way more emphasis on that one weekly weigh-in than if you're just doing it every day. It's like, then everything is built around that one weekly weigh-in. And then probably what will happen is on Saturday, let's say you weigh in on Monday, Saturday and Sunday, you're going to start eating way less deliberately to try and weigh less on Monday. And you're going to start doing stupid, stupid habits and bad habits with your nutrition. That's going to lead to binge eating. It's like weighing every day keeps you accountable and helps you develop a healthier relationship, relationship with food rather than trying to have it just like once a week. Weighing the, 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 
time frame in which you weigh makes each weigh-in have more emotional magnitude. Like if you weigh once per week and you don't do, and we can get to you and what you just said in a second, like let's say you're weighing every Friday and Thursday you fast or you know that restricting carbs yep. and salt is going to cause one little weight drop. Like one, you like you said, you're going to start to incorporate some of these unhealthy, unsustainable, com- coming from the wrong place uh, habits. But yep. it's eventually, like even if you're not doing that, like those weigh-ins are going to come with like – the amount of emotion you have on a daily weigh-in, let's call it one-seventh of what it would be on a weekly weigh-in. And you might have small fluctuations in emotions that go along with the fluctuations in the daily weigh-ins. But man, if you're listening to this and you've dieted for six, or you've been in a calorie deficit for, for seven straight days and you've done everything you needed to do and you get on scale one time at the end and it doesn't show weight loss, that is disheartening. And that's right. in that moment, and oftentimes... You know, uh, people, other coaches will ask me, what do you, what do you say when, when a client really wants to do that? And I'm like, sometimes we'll do something like putting a piece of tape over the scale if they have a Bluetooth scale and they like won't look at it. And then once a week you can look at it and then we'll compare. And it's like, this is how you would have felt if you got on only on Friday and you saw you were up 0.2 pounds. When in reality, the average is down or the same or whatever. It's if you're weighing in once per week, each one of those weigh-ins is going to have so much more emotion attached to it. And if one of those goes wrong, it's it's really easy to just say fuck it. Like a whole week of a calorie deficit didn't work, and 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 yeah. you're giving that one way in too much power. And especially, it's really interesting for me because the more you weigh, the more you can understand your body, and you can understand all things in your life. So for me, work mainly with women, right? So number, I can start to see their weight in relation to their menstrual cycle, and you can also start to track their strength in relation to what their weight might be. Right. And you can start track strength and performance and sleep in relation to what's going on. So if you're starting to, you know what, I'm going to give like something, a low carb thing a try. You notice like you give low carb a try, you lose weight very quickly, but maybe also your strength in the gym goes down significantly at the same time. It's like, cool, cool. So now I know losing weight very, very quickly with a lack of carbs is probably going to lead to worse performance in the gym, which is going to make me not like going to the gym very much. But what if, cool, I'm going to lose weight a little bit more slowly. I'm going to still eat carbs, feel great in the gym. Strength is going up and I'm losing weight a little bit more slowly. You can start to see these trends of exactly how your body responds based on what you're doing and start to use the scale truly as one form of data, not the only form of data that's a coach's job to like point out that there are other metrics and not just other ones, but, but performance-based ones and strength-based ones. And ones that ironically like run a bit counter to weight sometimes. Like you, you almost want to have that strength component in there as something like if you're, listen, if I have a client who has a, doesn't, doesn't lose weight for a week or they ate too much over the week, it's like, man, you were at maintenance this, this week. And guess what? You had four amazing workouts, you know? And it's almost something to run counter to it. And more calories usually going to lead to a better workout, stuff like that. And if you can give somebody that to feel good about when something else might not be going great, or you have a client who's in, let's say in COVID is having, uh, struggling to stick to their deficit and actually their strength is going up now and you can pivot in terms of what you're focused on for yep. sure. I think that's powerful. You, um, you have been weighing yourself on your Instagram for a long time. I don't recall the first time you did it. I know the first time I saw it and you might've mentioned this, but has there been an arc of responses in terms of the way I just think of your DM box as like a horde of people and yeah. the the crowd, the mob mentality, like I, has it shifted in terms of how, how the response that people have been giving in terms of daily weigh-ins and stuff? When I, so I first started doing it, um, 
actually the first time I did it was I believe in February or March of 2019 when I did like my first ever like public cut. Um, the first time that I really got big, big responses to it were for the Big Mac challenge. When I did the Big Mac challenge and, and people were watching my weight, a lot of the DMs were saying, this is triggering. Angry. This is really like, you shouldn't do this. Like you don't know what people, and, and like, and I got a lot of coaches being like, you're, you're instilling bad habits. Like people shouldn't be weighing themselves every day. And immediately I was like, man, like this is really skewed. People have a really bad idea of what they should be doing with the scale. I'm going to keep doing it. And now I haven't gotten a bad message about the scale in almost a year, almost a year now, which is amazing. The, the one, the one message that I still remember was, uh, was someone thinking that it was a woman and she was like, you're not making any progress. I don't understand what you're doing. And I, and this was about a week in to my mini cut. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not making progress. I was like, based on what? And she was like, you're like weights right around the same. I was like, how much weight would you expect me to lose in a week? And she was like, well, more than this. I was like, keep watching. Let's talk in eight weeks. Totally. And about six weeks later, she was like, all right, I'm a believer now, which like, cool. That was so worth it. Just like to have that so they can see what's realistic. But the, it's interesting to me how the industry as a whole has changed because especially around like this, this anti-diet and diet culture, uh, has really come sort of big, the, the, the bigger anti-diet and diet cult, like anti-diet culture has become the more anti-scale there has been. So uh, either all of those people have unfollowed me or they've started to uh, realize that it's actually not an evil thing and they can weigh themselves and still have a very healthy relationship. That's because that's because those people are equate. You can be you're only anti scale and, and anti diet if you're lumping those two things together as if weighing yourself is making it the be all end all. They're two totally different things. Stepping on the scale Correct. does not equate to it being the be all end all of literally everything. That's exactly um, right. Would you say that there's there or would you have have you ever had a client where you opted out of using the scale entirely or or in yes. general? Are there situations maybe within the spectrum of surplus, deficit, maintenance, cut, bulk, whatever, where you might say, OK, it's it, we downgrade the importance of this or we don't use it at all? There have been a handful of clients in which I I did not let them weigh themselves and they were mainly clients who were still in the process of overcoming disordered eating habits. Um, so if someone struggled with anorexia, struggled with bulimia, struggled with binge eating, um, odds are if they're still in the process of overcoming it, we're not weighing themselves mainly because I wouldn't say that you, we wouldn't weigh themselves, but earlier on in the process, the focus is not on weight. I would say later on in the process, near the tail end, then we start to incorporate weighing again. Um, it's really interesting. One of my favorite experiences I've ever had with a client. Um, I'll tell you one of the biggest mistakes that I, that I made as a coach with, with clients weighing themselves. One of the biggest mistakes that I made that I didn't realize is I was having clients weigh themselves daily and I would, I would give them emotional responses to their weigh-ins, right? So like, I wouldn't say anything bad if it went up, but if it went down, it'd be like, hell yeah, nice job. That was my mistake as a coach. And it and I recognized it when I remember I had one client, really amazing woman. She, anytime the scale went up, she would have a really, really bad response. And I would go through our emails together and I was like, I've been giving her positive reinforcement every time it goes down. That's my fault. 
So one thing I realized is people would, they oftentimes, uh, not only would I give them positive reinforcement when it would go down, but then when it went up and they complained about it, then I would really try and uh, uh, encourage them be like, it's okay, you're doing great, da, da, da. And so they started to chase that. They started to chase that, my reaction as opposed to their reaction. So number one is I had to start giving uh, my responses with zero emotion sort of like to set the example of what it's supposed to be like. That was one of the most important lessons I learned. But I remember vividly there was there was one woman who she was not um, she was not seeing the weight loss she wanted. She was having a very, very negative relationship with the scale. She didn't have a bad relationship with food. It was purely the scale. And I'll never forget this where after a couple of, of interactions that just very, 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 ne- very negative, I told her, I was like, if you have one more response like this to the scale, then you are not going to weigh yourself with me ever again. We're just going to completely eliminate it. And ever since then, she had a great relationship with the scale. Like it was, she literally just needed the, the tough love accountability of like, this is completely and utterly unacceptable. We will not allow the scale to dictate our emotions like this enough is enough. And this is after a long time of like consistently really having big thousand word emails of like super upset how the scale responded to her weight. And I was like, this is enough. Like if this happens again, no more weighing yourself. And that was it. And then she, she was like, thank God you spoke to me like that because otherwise I would have just been able to justify that response based on having those conversations and you coddling me. So I really think sometimes there's a, a place for tough love in the coaching client relationship being like, this is just unacceptable. You know this. Logically, you know this. We've been over this a million times. If you continue to allow this to happen, then we're just going to take it out completely. And it just gives them that opportunity to be like, cool, like I'm a big boy, I'm a big girl, whatever it is, let's do this like an adult. I think what you said about, and this is something I'll send out to a client early on in in our coaching you know, together is if you're getting really excited when the scale goes down, even if you're not getting, even if, even if we're not getting like super, we're harping on, you know, when it goes up, like, don't worry, we're, I'm not even coddling you. But if I'm just like you said, positively reinforcing and you're feeling super excited when it goes down without knowing it, you are creating like a recoil effect when that does not happen. So it's like, you might just, you're like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not super emotional. when It goes up. It's fine. But then you throw a fucking party when it goes down you are yep. creating that recoil effect when that when the absence of that feeling happens and scale the scale shouldn't dictate your emotions in both directions Correct. and that, and that doesn't mean that we can't get excited about fat loss if it's your goal great like there are times for us to get excited you may be a milestone you know you you cross into a new decade of of numbers whatever but it needs to go in both directions like the scale goes down you're like great i lost fat if it goes up you're like no no it's just water weight like and it's the same reasoning needs to be applied in both directions. If you lost a bunch of weight really quickly, as a coach, I'm not going, I, the first thing out of my mouth is like, hey, be, let's be prepared for like a little recoil tomorrow because like this fluctuation is quite a bit. And if it's the same in the other directions, it's up three pounds. It's like, hey, like probably going to come down tomorrow. Like anything that's seems like an irrational jump is probably going to come back to center afterwards. And I think if you're getting super excited when the scale goes down, you might not be thinking about this way, about it this way, but you're setting yourself up for the exact opposite feeling in the exact opposite direction when that does not happen. And you need to be prepared right. for both. You can't just get really excited when it goes down. You're setting yourself up for for being pissed off when it doesn't. One of the things that uh, 
I started to have people do is anytime the scale went down is I would get them to think, cool, that it's probably going to go up soon. And anytime totally. the scale went up, I'd get them to think it's going to go down soon. Right. So it's like basically whatever happens, the opposite is going to happen yep. soon, which helps set their expectations going forward. And it also keeps the emotions relatively steady. Right. So like, I know if it went down, it's going to go up. And if I know it went up, if I stay on track, it's going to go down that way. You sort of just run the middle ground there versus if you go directly to what just happened and look at that as the success, which like, maybe it is, maybe you, you got, you went from the one fifties down to the one forties. That's amazing. Definitely celebrate your consistency, but that's the key word. Celebrate your consistency, not the weight, right? Because your consistency is what led to the result. Not like the, all of a sudden, a lot of times people will be like, Oh, I've lost 20 pounds, but I still hate how I'm, how I look. It's like, that's a separate issue, but we have to realize just because you weigh a certain number doesn't mean you're all of a sudden going to be happy, but just because you're not going to be happy at a certain weight doesn't mean your weight doesn't matter. For sure. I think that there's in my head, the way I see it is like, there's this flat horizontal line for those of you guys just listening. And that's like your emotion at baseline. Let's call it like a zero and anything above that is happy emotion. And anything below that is negative emotion. And if you're having, like most people are having tens in both directions and it's not that we should have no data points and you should always be the zero, but what we want to do is bring both of those tens closer to the center so that you're having twos, you're a little excited, you're a little bit upset, you're a little bit, and we're bringing them closer to the point where they get so indistinguishable that it, it's just almost baseline all the time. And to expect that you're going to have no emotion, that's not the expectation. That's almost, I would almost go as far as say that's not the goal. It, it, it's not having no emotion. It's about, like you said, not letting the emotions dictate your actions, decide what you're doing for that day. Di you know, direct you or make you second guess what you're doing for that day or your 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 plan in general. But it's about bringing back the magnitude, bringing down the magnitude of your emotion in both directions, more towards like baseline. Absolutely. Yep. Um, pivoting just a tiny bit. What what is this? Is a question that I had a couple of people ask me, and also something selfishly I'm interested in is you've been doing this quite a long time. Um. I always thought you were much older than me. It's found out we're the same age, so it's, it's totally fine. Uh, you were like 14, started your first uh, your first training job. So you've been in this quite some time. And more specifically, I guess, from the coaching side than the personal training side, but I guess both, like what's something that you've you've definitely changed your mind about? Maybe that you thought or something that you've said, maybe you watched an old YouTube video and you're like a little cringy. Like what's something you've changed your mind on? Hmm. Let me see. What is something that I've changed my mind on? Um, I mean, I've changed my mind on a lot, but I'll say this. So if you look at a lot of my older content, 2012, 2013, that's when I was really getting into like the, if it fits your macros world, right? So I was posting a lot of the foods that I would eat that were like ah, pizzas and donuts and ice creams and chips. And I was like, look, you can have all these foods and still be okay. And like, I still post that kind of stuff, but I wasn't posting the majority of what I was eating, which is fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, lots of water, like the basic boring stuff that most people need. And so they would see me eating all this junk. And that was because I was learning about it and I was excited about it, but what I was portraying was not a true accurate representation of what I was actually eating the majority of the time. 
And I'd say that was one of the bigger mistakes I made both as a coach and as a content creator, not fully accurately representing what I was doing. And that's really where I, where I look back at old posts. I'm like, oh, geez, like posted me eating this like massive meatball sub. And I'm like, all right, but that doesn't help the people who like eat that several times a week and really need to learn, okay, well, how can they like incorporate more veggies into their diet? I mean, that's where the whole big ass salad comes from, right? Where it's like, now, instead of me me making a big deal out of the pizza I have weekly, how about I make a big deal out of the salad I have daily, right? That's a much more um, appropriate, realistic, accurate representation of my diet than the once weekly pizza. And I also think it's so much about where somebody's coming from who's watching you because somebody might, and it also depends on like where you're you're coming from in terms of content, like what the mass that you're putting out is like, there's going to be people out there that are going to want to see you eating a pizza and there's going to be people who are going to want to see you eating a salad because they see everybody else eating just pizza. And I find that like, I want to make sure that I'm keeping it real and that you guys see that most of my meals are boring, but I also want you to see that some of my meals are whatever pizza, donuts, whatever. And if you're just showing one of those two, it's not fair to a, a large group of people who now are either expecting that they must be perfect, they have to eat like this, or they're expecting, what am I doing wrong? This person eats pizza all the time and they're and they're ripped. So exactly. keeping it real, finding that balance, because there's people on both sides of that spectrum who are gonna benefit from seeing you, their aspiration, doing both. That's right. Yeah, it's exactly right. Going back to your if it fits your macros days, I guess I guess still now, you know, calorie fucking deficit is like if I had to ask you what your philosophy was, it would just be that your girlfriend didn't even say yes. She said calorie deficit. So like <laughs> there's a, it's it's not that simple. And it went, but it is the beginning of the conversation and it has to be the place where we start. And I just feel like we especially once you start posting content, once you like start putting that out in the world, you almost attract the opposite dichotomous viewpoint of like, well, OK, it's like that's not all that matters. And you become right. You, like you said, you started with this if it fits your macro, but it's like if it fits your macro plus food quality and not it or food quality. And there's this like big false dichotomy. Do you still get a barrage of that? Oh, yeah, I, I still get it's not as much as it used to be. Um, and a lot of times when I do get it, you know, God bless the the people who follow me who will Love jump that. right in and be like, awesome. he, he, if you followed him for even five <laughs> minutes, then he would, you'd see that like, that's not what he says. So I used to have to defend myself much more. There used to be a lot more of it. Um, there are a couple people on Twitter who I think they just follow me legitimately to troll me that I had to like mute. I didn't block them, but like I muted them. So I can't see their tweets who literally anytime I would say that they'd be in the comments being like, nah, 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 nah. So yeah, I, I, I still get a, a decent amount of it, but not nearly as much as when I was uh, just starting out, didn't have as big of an audience because people follow people who they agree with. Right. That's really one of the main reasons you follow someone is like, most people don't follow both sides of the political spectrum. They follow the people they agree with. Um, if people like most people who are diehard keto are not going to follow me and they just, they're like, all right, I don't want to see that stuff because I disagree with it, which is cool. So at this point, most of the people who follow me agree with what I say. So I, I'm not really dealing with that too much, but it still, it still does happen. For, for somebody who's listening, who is having that thought and would love to hear you speak on that about Hey, like I hear you talk and and, I, and and my the theme and my content is fairly similar. It's like, you know, you can only say so much in an Instagram post in, in a caption in a 15 minutes, 15 second story. But like 
for somebody who's just getting that as a bite, an information bite and thinking, is it really just that simple? Do I, is our calories all that matter? Like if you were, if you didn't have lovely people in your comments who were defending that, that, that side of things, like how would you address that? Like dichotomous thinking? Yeah. So I would say, uh, there are two, there are two very extremist point of views. One extreme point of view is that calories are all that matter. And the other extreme point of view is that calories don't matter at all. And I would say both of those are stupid and ignorant and incorrect. I was like, calories absolutely do do matter, but they aren't all that matter, right? So the the reality is this, why, why do I beat the drum of a calorie deficit for fat loss so hard? What's the reason? Well, the reason I beat that drum so hard is because without it, it won't work. Like that's literally like, if you don't have it, it won't happen, right? So for me, let's say someone follows me for five minutes and all they see is calorie deficit. Then they start Googling calorie deficit and they start, well, how do I get into a calorie deficit? If that's all they got from me and their goal is fat loss, they're going to be on a much better road to success than someone else who's being ketones. like, exactly. Yeah. Like, where do I begin? Should I buy ketones? Do I go to the supplement store, get ketones? Do I buy it off of this website? Or I got to get all the carbs out of my house. The person who starts researching calorie deficit will be infinitely better off than the person who starts researching ketones. So that's where it's like, for my mind, it's like, cool. I have someone randomly come to my page. What are they going to see? What are they going to benefit from most? If they stay on my page, then odds are they're going to see a lot more messaging and a lot more information on how to improve long-term sustainably. But if they're only here for five seconds, what's the number one thing that they should see to help them achieve their goals? And that's where my mind goes. And, and, and on that note, I feel like if you had, like you said, if you had to understand one thing, like you can actually answer quite a bit of fundamental questions about fat loss, about your own journey. And once you do really like not just understand it, but internalize it and accept the, the straight up scientific fact of the law of thermo, thermodynamics, like, you can answer a lot of those really hard questions about your, you know, how many times will you get somebody saying, I'm eating this many calories, I'm doing this, and I'm not losing weight. And like, it is the beginning of the conversation, not the entirety of the conversation, but we have to start with, you're not in a calorie deficit, or you, you're not in a surplus. Aside, somebody say, I've been in a surplus for a month and I haven't gained any weight. It's like, no, you haven't. And it's not a shot. It's like, we need to start with that conversation and you need to come on board with that and then we can work through some of those nuances, but I'm with you. I think if there's, I think a lot of people are having a lot of questions where the answer is you're not in a deficit or you're not in surplus or you're eating just the right amount or, and if you could just understand that there, there'd be a lot of things out there that'd be, you know, somebody who goes keto doesn't lose weight, not in a calorie deficit. Somebody who goes keto does lose weight. You were in a calorie deficit. Like let's start with that. And then we can move to some nuance after. But like you said, if you had to, if you came to your page and had to understand one thing, you're way ahead of anybody who has any other singular piece of information. That's right. Exactly. That's a good one. That's a, and, and I like how we came to that. I think changing over the years, I think I, um, I think that I think it's easy to get caught up in that. If it fits your macros, like 10,000 calorie challenges and yep. with, with, with like, in like the most Jordan site way, like fails <laughs> the 10,000 calorie challenge, like, like, in the most Jordan Syatt way, like actually makes it into something. And I loved it. I actually made it into something like somewhat educational, not it's meant to be entertainment. It's meant to just be clickbait and, and right. it's meant to go viral. It's meant to be watch you, you know, get sick and you did get sick. It was like on calorie 6,000 or something like that. Um, it's like 2000, like barely over so, 2000. I was like, I'm done. I remember exactly. watching. I was like, yeah, Dunkin' Donuts, dude. <laughs> I was like, what? 
Um, but if yeah, if you guys have, if you anybody out there has watched ten thousand calorie challenges before from other people, and go watch this one because this is the one that you need to watch for sure. So you've been doing um, some of the Jordan Stinks episodes, and it's 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 super important thing to be doing in this industry is invite people to disagree and. Like you said, when somebody comments on your page and those people come to your, you know, come to your aid and like, those are teaching moments. Those are more than the people who agree with you. The people who agree with you don't gain as much from your page as the people who eventually come over to, you know, make a transition from pseudoscience to something that actually makes sense. And um, what is a question that you keep seeing? For those of you guys who don't know, Jordan does an episode, uh, a series on his podcast it's called Jordan Stinks where he invites people to disagree with him and then, you know, obviously kind of responds to those. Like what's a question that you keep getting or a comp or a, a topic or, you know, it's funny. I'd say the, the biggest one is, is usually around the like calories aren't all that matter. <laughs> like that's really the, the most common one that I get, uh, which is like, well, calories aren't all that matter. I'm like, you're right. It's funny because a lot of the, I'll go on my, my Instagram story and I'll say, tell me what do you disagree with me on? And I'll get like a whole bunch of different things. And the vast majority of them aren't even disagreements. It's just misconceptions of what I'm saying. It's like, I very much agree. Calories are not all that matter, but just because calories are not all that matter doesn't mean that calories don't matter at all. Right. So, so that's really the major one. I get ones from people about like, you know, carbs do make you fat. I get ones from people being like alcohol does prevent you from losing fat. I get ones from people being like, actually uh, fasted cardio is better for fat loss. I, I get, I get ones for, for everything. Uh, but those, those are often the main ones. Yeah. I could see that as well. That's definitely some of the kickback that I'll find on my page as well. It's just a misconception or like you said, maybe they stop by for one second and that's their summation of your entire point. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I want to dive a little bit into the origin, but also a deeper meaning and application of you can't fuck this up. And it's something that mm -hmm. I know that myself, I use it with my clients and I know some of my colleagues in my circle who have adopted it either in their own words or in, just as a mentality. And it, it kind of does go back to the like, just get somebody to not quit like and, and start to instill that. But could you explain for everybody like kind of what that means and why you use it and, and why it's just so important? Yeah. So basically, um, I realized fortunately relatively early on in my coaching career that people were failing and people were quitting their diets and their workout programs because they felt like a failure. Like that's why, whether, and it may be feeling like a failure stemmed from they had a slice of pizza at their daughter's birthday party, or maybe feeling like a failure meant that they, they slept in and didn't get a workout, whatever it is, right. Feeling like a failure. It doesn't have to be, a huge thing. It could be one small thing that then it makes them think they failed and they ruined their progress. So why bother? Maybe they went on vacation for a week, gained, they look at their scale, they gained 10 pounds on vacation. They don't realize that most of it's from water. They think they failed. So they quit. Right. So many different scenarios in which someone feels like a failure. And I was like, man, people are using these failures as a justification to quit altogether. People are literally like, well, cool. So I, I, I don't know. I missed my workout. So, well, I'm just not going to go the rest of the week. Or like I had a couple slices of pizza, so I'm going to go and have the whole box of cinnamon toast crunch and ice cream and whatever. It's like people were using that failure to justify completely stopping altogether. And so I was like, I need to find a way to eliminate this. And my 
first attempt at that was literally just saying, you can't fuck this up. And I remember the first responses I got were people laughing and being like, oh, yes, <laughs> I can. Challenge accepted. Like, you, that's literally, people yeah. would say exactly challenge yeah. accepted. People would say challenge accepted. Oh, you don't know how much I can eat. And then I had to overcome that. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, there's literally nothing you could show me or that I, that, that I haven't seen before. Like, the amount of food people have eaten, the amount of time they've taken off. And for me, like, the immediate go-to is like, have you ever seen someone who at like 40, 50 years old, and these transformation stories are all over the internet, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, whatever it is, morbidly obese. They've never worked out a day in their life. They eat terribly. And they have this crazy transformation where they lose a lot of weight. They look and feel way better. They're very healthy. Like they're deadlifting a ton of weight. It's like, yes, that those transformations are available online. They're all there. Like if that person could do it and they hadn't done it their entire life, then there's no way you can justify you're taking a week off of workouts was enough to fuck up or that you can justify you taking like the last month away from your diet and gaining 15 pounds or even this like this Corona time, right? Where people have been away from the gym. Like maybe they've gained 30 pounds during quarantine. It's like, you didn't fuck up, get back on track. Like that's it. Like you didn't fuck up. You can trick yourself and believe whatever you want to tell yourself if you'd like, but you didn't fuck it up. You can start right now get right back on track. And then sort of the subsequent line is you're never more than one bite away from getting right back on track. It's like, here's it's the next bite. It's your choice. You can get right back on track hundred percent. And when people really start to internalize that, the idea of failure begins to dissipate and the idea of success becomes a true reality. I think that they're coming from a place of viewing winning and losing on a very short term timeline and it's like a yep. meal by meal basis where i'm deciding whether or not i'm on or i'm off and when you can expand the time frame and and you go from and I, and i think calorie cycling has a huge part to play in this when you take away that feeling of daily wins and losses of meal by meal wins and losses and i'll have somebody who you know has goes over their calories by quite some quite a bit and with their knowledge of calorie cycling, whether or not they want to make large concessions for, and borrow calories from other days, like just understanding the concept of this shit works on a larger time scale. And you yeah. having one day of 3,000 calories, like over the course of a month, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't see it from right up and close, the percentage that you went over your calories. You wouldn't even be able to see it. So teaching calorie cycling and, and just not even the utilization of it, just the understanding that it worked this your calorie intake works on a much bigger time scale than this one meal you had. And if you had ice cream, like great, that's that is one blip, a drop in the bucket towards your weekly calorie intake, let's say. Like you you can't just go off the rails because it it you didn't lose anything. It's part of this larger game you're playing weeks and months and years and it comes back to like getting rid of your timeline and understanding that we're, we're, this is a much bigger time frame. We're not dealing with daily or meal by meal wins and losses. And I feel like, and I, I listen, I did keto for an entire year. I did a podcast on that a couple of podcasts ago. And that is a dark place of wins and losses. And it, and that, and and man, keto as a, as a, as a, from has utility in, if you have epilepsy or if you freaking hate carbohydrates or maybe for some specific type two diabetic situations, but that psychologically really fucked with me. And it's like, if you had, if you go out of ketosis, I'm not even talking about calories, just out of ketosis, you prick your blood or something, you don't see, oh my God, it's like one meal, one carbohydrate. So I feel like a lot of people that may be listening to this and, and are either thinking about keto or currently doing it, 
I know you know what I'm talking about. I know you know that if you have an apple, you think you lost, and it's just this daily or meal-by-meal meal wins and losses that you just psychologically don't need. Yeah. I, the, for, the thing that I think about is, like, if you're peeing on a stick or pricking your blood, like, to figure out if you're using the right diet, like, if you have, like, a medical condition, by all means, do whatever you have to do. But if you're a healthy individual and you're, like, pissing on a stick or picking your blood or whatever it is, or you're scared of having fruit, like you're following the wrong fucking diet. And on that, on that note of a, of an echo chamber in terms of social media, I pricked my blood every day for a year. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it like, but it was, I was also had a large experimental component to it, but you start, if you, if you go keto and you immediately unfollow every person who says calorie deficit and you start following keto king and, you know, keto coach and keto trainer, like you <laughs> You're doing it right. You're doing perfectly. Like you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Um, you know, you need just you need to eat more salt, and you just need this exogenous ketone. And the echo chamber can be real. And I think it's very important that you follow people you disagree with, and very important that you follow people who, you know, have a very counter opinion or come from a different place. And if your Instagram, your social media feed is just you're flicking through it, and it's just your, you know, all all your colleagues of like everyone who agrees and it's just going to be a dark place. And if you're, if, and, and I don't mean to think that we are in, I don't want to say that we are the ones in the right place, but like if it's something that's out there, really out there and you're trapped in that echo chamber, it's hard, it's hard to get out. I was, you can follow 50 keto accounts and you're like, great. What I got to do is one stick of butter, <laughs> double up the exogenous ketones in this black coffee. And guess what? I'm still fasting, you know? So we're good. Yeah. Like, yeah it's so funny. Uh, like, you know when you, you go out to eat with someone and you want to eat like a salad and then they'll be like, oh, come on, live a little, like have like mentors or whatever it is. It's like, I feel like this. the reason they're doing that is because they want you to have what they're having so they feel better about it themselves, right? So social media is very similar, right? So if you are doing the keto diet, but you're following all these people who don't do keto and they say calorie deficit and you see them eating all these fruits and vegetables and all these other foods, and like all of a sudden, like you're not going to feel good about yourself because you're restricting yourself. And so you want to eat what they're eating. So then you only follow keto people. You see all these keto people who are like, yeah, I'm not having fruit either. I'm not having this either. And you get in like your little keto cult and you're like, yeah, screw fruit. Yeah, we don't need that. We're like, I just had steak today and that's steak and cheese. It's like you just go around people who make you feel better for doing what you're already doing. If And this works in nutrition, this works in strength training, we, this works in politics, this works in everything. It's like, if you're only surrounding yourself with people who make you feel better for what you already believe, you're in the wrong group of people. If you don't feel confident de defending what you're doing, and I don't mean defending like someone's attacking you, but being able to describe it to somebody on the street that, does, that disagrees with you and you feel confident defending it from a, just a logical, rational standpoint, not from a, well, this is what everyone else is doing and I feel good doing it, then probably time to check check what it is you're doing for sure yeah so so you come obviously from a powerlifting background and i remember in some of your earlier podcasts talking about how you just started programming for people for fun your friends whether or not you were writing powerlifting programs you were super entrenched entrenched in powerlifting and i'm guessing that's where the base of your knowledge from programming came from at least in the beginning like how has that changed and how have you kind of been able to use your foundational knowledge in, in powerlifting to program for gen pop and not just program, but psychologically use it to help people from an empowerment standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I think powerlifting is a really incredible tool, especially with, with gen pop with everybody, but especially with gen pop. Um, when I first 
was sort of mixing powerlifting with coaching, I took it to an extreme. Like you usually do when you first start doing anything. I like basically treated gen pop people like powerlifters, which is very stupid. They should not be following like a legitimate peaking program for powerlifting. It's not going to end well. Um, basically powerlifting I will by definition is the sport of squat bench press and deadlift where you try and lift as much weight as you possibly can in those three lifts. Um, I like to use powerlifting or the power lifts as part of an overall training program to help people get all of the benefits of powerlifting without any of the negatives, right? So negatives of powerlifting include spending way too much time in the gym, joint pain, back pain, knee pain, uh, a lot of serious injuries, having to st- like, I don't see competition as a negative, but you don't have to pay the money, your travel or set a time to step on stage. It's like you can squat and you can bench press and you can deadlift and get stronger and love it and feel better and move better and build more muscle, love your body, love your body, seeing your body get stronger and more powerful and more athletic, using those lifts as part of your program rather than basing your program around powerlifting. And that's sort of uh, what I've done as a coach is really trying to use those movements and other similar movements. Like if someone's like, ah, like my shoulder hurts when I bench press, so I'm, I'm not going to bench press, I'll do push-ups instead. I'm like, cool, or you know, we'll do pull-ups. Like, I don't care. You don't need to do that exact lift. It's more the concept around getting stronger in a big compound movement that you want to improve on. If you'd rather do an overhead press, do an overhead press. If you'd rather do a bent-over row, do a bent-over row. If you'd rather do like Bulgarian split squats instead of regular squats, do Bulgarian split squats. Like, I don't care. The big thing is see how strong you can get while staying healthy in big compound movements and mentally and emotionally, you're going to be a much stronger individual as well. Are there any like basic programming principles that you tend to tend to gear towards? So whether it be, you know, like you said, incorporating the big three or, um, you know, using a lot of supersets or is it, is it something where you're like, okay, I'm coming from a place of function plus fun. Am I coming at it from a you know, minimum effective dose, or am I coming at it from a very individualized approach? I mean, where, where are some of those philosophies lie for you? So so it's, it's very, very individual, but on, on a grand scheme of things, I try and make it as fun as I can. Right. It's like, it's really not difficult to write an effective program. Like it's not like, it's just once you've been coaching for a while, it's really not hard to write a program that works. Um, The main factor in whether or not it works is whether or not they do it. That's really it. The, the more advanced you get, the harder it gets and the more difficult. But when you're working with relative beginners, getting them stronger is outrageously simple. Um, for me, the biggest thing is how can I make them do something that they love? Like how can I get to them to the point where they love doing this? So if we're going to make some broad strokes, generally for women, I'm going to have them doing things that really focus on their chin-up strength, their push-up strength, their shoulder definition, and their glutes. Like those are the main things that women really, really tend to like. Now, not all of them, but a lot. So I'll make sure their program revolves around often those things. Um, oftentimes I'll, because I really want them to focus on getting stronger, I'll require them to take less rest early on in the workout. And at the end of the workout, a lot of times women really like to sweat and work really hard. So I'll make more of like a finisher, more of a metabolic circuit at the end so they can finish out of breath, panting, whatever. That's like generally what often women really like men on the other hand, um, I often make them 
lower their weight because men will go way too heavy, let their ego get in the way. I'm like, no, 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 you got to lower the weight. You got to send me videos of your technique so I can make sure you're doing this properly. Oftentimes I, I make them rest less because they'll take 12 minutes in between sets because like they're just taking way too long. Like, all right, you're taking way too long. You got to reduce this rest period to three to five minutes where women, they might rest 30 seconds be like, cool, let's go. It's like, no, you got to increase the weight, increase the rest period. Men are decrease the weight decrease the rest period, focus more on technique. And for men, I'll focus a lot uh, oftentimes on, on uh, arms, like they want to build bigger arms. Um, I will say recently there has been a lot more men wanting to build bigger glutes, which has been like super cool. Like they want to build bigger glutes. Awesome. Uh, so deadlifts and squats and all that. Um, but men generally bigger arms, bigger shoulders, bigger back, bigger chest, like all upper body. Uh, but I'd say in the last year and a half, two years, a lot of a big focus on glutes as well. So, and also one of the, one of the fun things I've done with a lot of men is and college students, like college guys is like doing this, like sort of like a, a finisher of just arms, like at the end of the workout, 10 minutes, go crazy, do as many curls as you want in the next the last 10 minutes. They love that. Like they think it's a blast. Is it optimal from a programming perspective? No, it's actually really, really stupid, but from like a enjoyment and psychology perspective, it's probably the smartest thing you could do. If adherence is the base of the diet period, it, it, diet pyramid, it's the base of the lifting pyramid as well. And fun needs to be like right there alongside it. And I definitely play fall victim to this. And I know any coaches listen to this fall victim. Like it's not hard to write an effective program. It's very easy to follow the basic guidelines. It's, it's easy to make a balanced push pull across upper and lower and hit the rep ranges and, you know, horizontal and vertical pushing. And, but you need to look at that program and say, does somebody who's not a professional want to do this? And they want to do it day in and day out and they want to give effort towards it. And um, I definitely, it's something that's evolved. It's my program, my programming came from, and if we even like look to turn to this bookshelf right here, it's like practical programming. It's like Tudor Bamba. It's like, and it's like at the end of the day, man, you need to bring it back down to the basics, to the, to the fun yep. component. And if you want to sprinkle some of that stuff in, they're never going to notice anyway. Nobody, not nobody, but most of the people you're coaching aren't going to appreciate the nuance. They're going to appreciate enjoying it. And if you can yeah. get them to love get, getting stronger, that's that's really what you're there for. And, you know, like you said, writing an effective program, not super difficult. Getting somebody who's never worked out before to experiment with it and fall in love with it is like the best gift you can give somebody for sure. A hundred percent. That's right, man. Um, we're heading up on an hour here. You got to let me know if we're running short on time. I want to just ask one more question. Um, yeah, yeah, one more. Then I, I'm a little late for a call, but we're good. Okay, one perfect. More. I'm going to say one quote. I want you to just expand on it for two seconds. Then you're out of here. You say for one person having the cookie and not feeling bad about it might be progress. And for somebody else, uh, not having the cookie and staying on track and doing what they need to do might be progress. Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So this is a conversation. It stemmed from a conversation I had with a client of mine uh, years ago. And I, I vividly remember this woman had a terrible relationship with the scale. Actually, this woman legitimately uh, smashed her scale with a baseball bat. I was like, <laughs> like I, years space. and years and years ago. Um, and after a long time of coaching, she'd improved a tremendous amount. And at first, she she was significantly overweight and she had to lose a lot of weight. So the whole process of getting her just to focus on eating healthier foods for the majority of the time, that was that was difficult. And it made, it was, took a long time, but she made a tremendous amount of progress. Then from there, she was scared of losing that progress. And so it became more difficult to then get her to be okay with eating quote unquote unhealthy foods, having the pizza. So 
it was funny. I remember I was on a call with her and she was, she basically outlined that experience of like, well, first it was hard for me to eat healthy. And that was progress when I started eating healthy. And then it was hard for me to eat unhealthy. And that was progress. And I could do that without feeling shame. And I was like, man, what a great quote. Like that's exactly right. And that's what's important here to remember is that sort of like we were talking about at the very beginning, the scale isn't the only metric of success, right? It's like, the scale isn't the only, it cannot be the only data point that you're looking at. We have to look at as many data points as we possibly can. So let's say the scale doesn't go down at all, but you improve your relationship with food, whether that means you eat more healthy foods on a regular basis when before that was really difficult, or maybe you can have a, a piece of cake or pie or pizza or whatever it is without feeling guilty. The scale hasn't gone down, but you've improved your relationship with food. You're winning. That's progress. And, and the whole point of this, again, going to the concept around a coach's job is to make sure that your client doesn't quit. Part of that includes being able to show them that they're making progress, even and especially when they can't see it themselves. So if they're able to have a slice of pizza and not feel guilty, your job as a coach should be to be their biggest fucking cheerleader. I would way rather you go crazy excited about that than crazy excited about them losing scale weight. It just losing scale weight, going crazy excited, it's going to create bad habits. But getting super excited that they ate, maybe had a salad for lunch or super excited that they had a pizza and didn't feel guilty about it, it's like that's when you're really promoting consistency and good habits and mental and emotional changes as opposed to insignificant scale weight. And again, just because that's, that individual scale weight is relatively insignificant doesn't mean that your scale weight as a whole is insignificant. It just means focus on the things that create good patterns and good habits and good mindset rather than only focusing on the things that are relatively difficult to control like your weight. And I think just lastly, I think someone's going to hear that quote and think that those are two different people. And like you said, it's not two different people. It's you at, at different points in your life and your dieting career and your Correct. relationship with food. And it's going to evolve in some days it's going to be about saying no and not feeling guilty. And some days it's about saying yes and not feeling guilty. So that's great. All right, dude, I appreciate you spending so much time with me. My listeners are going to love it. Uh, just let everybody know where they can find you, some of your best content, your podcast, and then I'll let you out of here. Yeah, uh, if you Google my name, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, you'll find whatever you want, but got my own podcast, the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. You can find me on Instagram, Syatt Fitness, and yeah, if I can help, please let me know. That's excellent. Thanks a lot, and uh, I appreciate everybody listening. I know you guys are going to love this one, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.